Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The whole thing was just so completely different to what was going on in London. The girls virtually had no clothes on. The guys were prettier than the girls and had better makeup. And, you know, you just thought to yourself, this feels so very different and so kind of filled with energy. We were offered the chance to do the Journey on Whitesnake tour. We went on first, but the audience was all in and they were all wearing thunder shirts and they all seemed to know all the words to all our songs. (laughs) And we found this quite baffling. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Well, I say weekly, but quickly before we jump into the show, Vintage Rock Pod is not going to be weekly anymore. Fear ye not, though. It's going to be twice weekly. Reacting to the results of the feedback from the survey that I put out a few weeks ago, we're going to have to go to two shows a week from now on. Monday's release is going to be the big interview show, as it is now, with the top fives. And then we're going to have a separate show that comes out on a Friday, just in time for the weekend for you, which will be more of a magazine-style show. Here's where you're going to get your rock news with Tim, interviews with authors, managers, promoters, that sort of stuff, quizzes, rock facts, all that sort of stuff is going to be thrown into that one. So you're going to get a lot more content just spread out over two shows. We'll give that a go for a while and see how it works, because it's what you guys have asked for so let's see what happens i'll give you a bit more information about this later on in the show but let's get stuck in now to episode 26 properly and the interview that i've got lined up for you today now i was delighted this week to be able to chat with the lead singer of this rock group from england who've had great success since they formed at the end of the 80s and as you'll hear from the interview the singer and guitarist relationship goes back almost 50 years Now, this group have toured the world. They've been prolific as well. They've recorded 13 studio albums, 29 live albums, and they've put out 22 singles. And they currently sit in the UK top five of the album chart with their latest offering. So with no further ado, here's my interview with Danny Bowes from Thunder. Now, I'm delighted to welcome to the Vintage Rock Pod the lead singer of one of the finest British rock bands of the generation. 17 top 40 singles in the UK, six top 10 albums, including the brand new one that I'm excited to hear all about. Please welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Danny Bowes from Thunder. Hello there. Hello there indeed, Danny. Now, um, as I mentioned, the brand new album, it came out, didn't it, a couple of weeks ago, All the Right Noises, and uh, what a splash it's made. It hit number three in the UK charts already. Yeah, it's very strange. We were... um our record label were very, very excited about it. And um, they said to us, oh, you're number one, you're number one in the midweek predictions. And uh, I said, don't worry about it. We're not going to um, we're not gonna end up a number one. They said, why is that? So I said, well, think about it. You know, the people that are in the charts around us are all young, which means they've got people who will be streaming the daylights out of their albums, which <laughs> effectively will 
do us in at the last minute because our people are older and they like physical stuff. And of course, you know, once you've sold to those people, they, they might be streaming it, but they're not going to stream it to the same extent. And, um, and then get this. This is amazing. The guy who was behind us in the chart, a kid, Central C, I think his name was. <laughs> I mean, with a couple of days to go, his record label, I mean, in a stroke of complete genius, they decided to bundle a CD with a balaclava of all things. And his fans went out and bought it in their droves. A balaclava, no less. I never thought of a balaclava in my wildest imagination. So, you know, you've got to say, ha- hands, you know, hats off yeah. or balaclavas off balaclavas to Central off, yeah. C. What a great idea. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to have to think of some gimmick yourself. Maybe, I don't know, a mask next time or something for the next album. But anyway, this one itself, All the Right Noises, it has absolutely made a massive splash, hasn't it? I mean, the, the, the content of the album is fantastic. I know that you guys started work on it, didn't you, in, in 2018 and, and recorded it in 2019, and you had to put it on hold, didn't you, until now for such a long time, and that must have been frustrating. It was very odd. Yeah, it's got to be said. I don't think it's ever happened before. Normally, we make a record, and the moment it's finished we kind of hand it over to our label who then start playing it to the key people. And then we get reaction in a very, very short order. But of course this time around, it didn't happen because the moment we heard the last mix, um, COVID kicked in and that was it. You know, we knew we couldn't tour. So we thought, well, we can't release the album if we can't tour because it's a very vital part of the promotional process. So we had to put the whole thing back. And then we spent the next year, basically just sitting on the album. And to be honest, I had spent most of last year running, listening to the album, which is very odd because I've never done that in a concerted way for you know, a long period of time. And I'm at the stage now where when I hear this album, it just reminds me of running. I don't think about you know all the things that I did on it and the bits that I think I could have improved. <laughs> None of that. That's the usual thing that happens, but that's all gone out the window. All I hear now is, you know, like, got to get up that hill, got to get up that hill. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, fabulous. Now it's all downhill Close for now, steps. for the yeah. next for the next remainder of this song and half of the next one. It's very strange. I just I've just got a completely different viewpoint on the record. Absolutely. And it's a very socially conscious album, isn't it? I mean that you're putting the boot into Brexit, there's there's Donald Trump in there as well. And it really does, even though it is a, a couple of years from the early stages of the production of the album, it really does stand the test of time and sounds very much like it could be written and re- kind of recorded within the last few months. It's very odd. Yeah. I think you're um I think you're right on there. I, a lot of people have commented that, you know, it sounds like you made this album during this kind of Annus Horribilis, this horrible year that everybody's mm-hmm. had. But it's it's nothing to do with that. I think Luke was just genuinely very, very fed up with a lot of things that were going on in the world in 2018 and 2019. Um, you know, being um, as kind of socially conscious as he is, he watches the news, he reads the papers, and uh, he's always done it. You know, whatever's getting on his nerves at the time, he will he will write a song about it. And unfortunately for Donald Trump and lots of other things, um, those things were all getting on his nerves at that time. So it all ends up on the record. I have asked him if he will try and take some happy tablets before the next (laughs) album because uh, I don't want to be singing angry tunes all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and one of the angry tunes on there I mean it's got a, a sad backstory and everything else as well um, but it's my favourite track on the album if I'm being honest is Destruction it, it's ballsy as hell isn't it yeah it's a very unusual uh, song for Thunder in as much as it doesn't really have what you'd consider to be a traditional chorus uh, which suits the daylights out of me because during the choruses I'm usually screaming my head off 
So if there's no <laughs> chorus, then I'm not screaming. And I like that, you know, so, <laughs> you know, it just, I need to take all the opportunities I can for a rest because these are not easy tunes to sing. It's got to be said. Absolutely. Um, and just looking ahead as well, I mean, you've got um, this exciting tour coming up in November, haven't you? With yourself and, and Luke, the first 50 years, it's, it's some nice small venues which people get to see you as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we did one tour, um, a limited number of shows in 2019 as pretty much a tester. I'd already done something similar with Ben, um, 2012 and 2013, actually. So I knew it would be okay, but Luke wasn't totally convinced. The idea of being um, exposed where you're just talking and occasionally bursting into song is not something that um, Luke finds a particularly um, not only interesting, but also natural. He's not, he's not natural at that kind of thing. Whereas I, you know, I'm, I'm an Olympic talker. If it was a sport, <laughs> sure, I would be yeah. up there getting a gold medal every four years. <laughs> but for him, it's, it doesn't come naturally. So he was a little bit reticent about it, but we did it. And um, interestingly, he took to it like a duck to water. Uh, it was far more um, uh, forthcoming in, in the shows than I expected him to be. I expected to have to carry it and, and him to kind of do his human didgeridoo impersonation, which he does on occasion where he just sort of tends to kind of drone on in a monosyllabic way, you know, kind of, <laughs> yum, 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 you know, and that's not very interesting. So I, I thought I'd have to carry it, but it was the complete opposite. I think he jumped all over it. He got very excited about it. He loved telling the stories and um, I think he really enjoyed the process. So it's a very different discipline than playing a, you know, a rock show in front of a whole bunch of screaming people jumping up and down. Yeah. But it was it, nonetheless very yeah. rewarding. And I think um, having done it once, I think he was keen to do it again. So this tour is longer, goes to more places, lots of different places. Um, I think there's only one place that we've gone back to again. We've repeated the experience. Purely because we just wanted to spread it around. And part of it is going to places we've never been to before. And I think um, that's... That's all part and parcel of, of of what we want to do in with the tour. You know, we just want to tick a few boxes before uh, we uh, eventually have to hang up our microphones and guitars, respectively. <laughs> Another story, if you don't mind indulging, it was when you were uh, you went to Los Angeles, I think it was, and you went to see some of those big hair bands and everything out there at the time, and you were with your former band, and you came back home, and that was it. That trip turned you on to to becoming Thunder, didn't it? Yeah, I think that was very much instrumental in in the change between Terraplane the band we were in, and Thunder, the band that we went on to form. Mm -hmm. Purely and simply because we'd been with Terraplane with um, CBS or Sony as they are now uh, for three years. We made two albums and we made just about every mistake a band could make. <laughs> um, we assumed our record label knew what to do with us. We assumed our manager knew what to do to control and manage the record label as well as us. And both of those were big, fat mistakes. They, those were terrible, terrible assumptions. And um, like I say, three years later, we made every mistake a band could make. Uh, we felt like we'd been sort of pushed into a sausage machine and pumped out the other side. And we felt very kind of upset. We waited nine years to get our record deal. We'd been rejected by every record label in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them more than once had rejected us. So, you know, it was a, it was a big, big bummer, you know, to be rejected having sort of got a record deal after nine years, but we went to Los Angeles purely and simply as a, or we went to New York as well, actually. We went to New York for a week and stayed with a friend of ours who was a backing vocalist on a meatloaf tour that we'd done probably three years before. Mm, yeah. And we went to stay with her for a week in New York. That was amazing. 
because she was so busy. She was doing adverts. She was doing sessions for people. She had this kind of incredible work ethic and we just followed her around for a week. And it was incredible to think that somebody in her position was so busy doing different stuff all the time. It it was so kind of um, instructive and instrumental for us in kind of governing our work ethic going forwards and dictating what we did. Then we went to LA and it was a complete opposite. <laughs> we met a guy who told us we could stay in his place years before. When we got there, turns out rather than being the palatial pile he told us it was, it was a shoebox and there was no room. <laughs> so we couldn't stay there. So we rented a little motel, having crashed the car also and written the car off that night, the first night we arrived. I was just very, very, very tired and uh, just forgot what side of the road I was on. And we had an almighty crash. Um, Nearly got arrested by the police for being a bit flippant and um, stayed in a rotten old motel, spent the next day in a tow truck trying to uh, get our car back to the airport where we could exchange it for another one. They gave us a bigger car. I never, I couldn't understand <laughs> that, but they did. And um, and then we spent the rest of the week doing meetings. We I don't know how we got them, but we did. We got meetings with some fairly heavyweight people at record labels and asked them for advice on what we should do. And um, all of them were very nice, probably very insincere, but they took the meetings and they gave us the advice. And at the same time, we went out of a nighttime to see bands and to find girls, of course. And everywhere we went, we saw all these hair bands and the whole thing was just so completely different to what was going on in London. You know, the girls virtually had no clothes on. The guys were prettier than the girls and had better makeup and better hair. (laughs) And... You know, you just thought to yourself, this feels so very different and so kind of filled with energy. There was so much going on. The bands were, some of them were great. Some of them weren't so great, but they all had an amazing energy going on, which was very lacking in London at that time. So we decided that we had to do something about it. We couldn't do our version of that because there's no way our mates in the pub would tolerate us turning up with with makeup on. You know, we get beat up, (laughs) but we we knew that we had to put the energy into the music and it made us decide that we had to do it our way. So we basically split the band up, um, fired the manager and just pretty much started again. Um, got a new manager, met Andy Taylor. He encouraged us no end because he was so successful with Duran Duran. Yeah. Always wanted to be in a rock band. Um, very covetous of the fact that we were mates and we got on because I know that that wasn't the case when he was in Duran. And he just kept saying to us, this is, this is the kind of band I always wanted to be in. And he just encouraged us every time we felt like something might be a bit loud. He would say, nope, turn it up. And you know, somebody got a bit (laughs) drunk. He'd say, get drunker, you know, drink more, play louder. Just don't worry about that. Let me sort it all out. And so he was very much kind of um, instrumental in us getting, becoming the kind of the the attitude band that we were. Um, so when the record labels came sniffing, we were horrible to them because we'd had a very <laughs> bad experience with Terraplane. And the more horrible we were to them, the more they liked it. And it was very strange, <laughs> but it did work. And as a result, you know, we got a great record deal with EMI and... Um, the rest of it's history, really. I mean, they chucked a load of money at us, and you know, within a within a year, we you know we were playing three nights at Hammersmith Apollo, which is 
unthinkable nowadays, really. Absolutely. And it was incredible. On the first album, Backstreet Symphony, it got to a number 21 in the charts, but it went gold. It was huge. It really pushed you onto the spotlight. And then the albums just kept rolling from there, didn't it? I mean, you, you were hitting the top fives in the UK. I mean, what kind of feeling was that for you then after working so hard to get to there? I mean, that feeling must be incredible. Yeah, it was. It was It was a very incredible feeling to to be vindicated and to feel like we'd got a second chance. We felt very grateful for it. But by the same token, we were so determined to have a great time in case it didn't last very long yeah. that we just went for it big time. And, um, you know, we enjoyed ourselves probably more than any any human beings ever right to, <laughs> really. You know, you read the books about Motley Crue and the stories about Guns N' Roses, and I tell you now, they got nothing on what we did. <laughs> the difference is we just never told anyone. <laughs> and is this all coming out in the book then that, that you and Danny are doing? No, because it's, um, once again, you know, we've been very careful to protect the innocent <laughs> and the guilty as the time has gone by. I mean, we reveal little bits every now and again, but... um. You know, we've always said that one day what we'll do is we'll write it all down and then we'll lock it away in a safe <laughs> with a note for our lawyer to say, publish this when the last of us dies. That's probably a wise thing. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we won't. We'll see. <laughs> Very wise indeed. Um, and so, yeah, you talk about the, the the longevity and the fun and everything that you had from that. I mean, the, you guys released albums quite regularly, didn't you? And then there was a, a bit of a period between kind of 2008, 2015, where you went and did different things, but you came back and... In the last, what, five or six years, you've, you've had incredible success again. Wonder Days, rip it up. I mean, they've all gone kind of top 10, top five in the UK, and they've all been smash hits. I mean, were you surprised? Um, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but were you pleased that you still had such a massive following to come back to and the, the fans were still lapping up the music you were creating? I think the, uh, the, sort of the key moment was um, having gone away in, in 2009, we did a big sort of farewell tour, went right around the world and had a great time. And, yeah. and you know, we stepped away from it. And as you say, we went on to do different things. I think it was 2013 um, when we were invited to come back. We'd done the odd Christmas show here and there, but we had no intention of making any more records. You know, it was just kind of, you know, we did a festival. I think we did a festival in London. Um, I think purely simply because they chucked a load of money at us and said, do you fancy doing it? And we said, yeah, why not? You know, it's an afternoon. We're not doing anything. Harry's not washing his hair. Why not? You know, we'll go. And so we did things every now and again, but we had no intention of making another record. We, we were done with that. Um, I think the thing that really changed it was when we were offered the chance to do the Journey on Whitesnake tour. That was in May 2013. Um we went on first, you know, as, as the opening band. Um, but the audience was all in. And you don't expect that in an arena to have the whole audience in there when you go on. And they were all wearing thunder shirts and they all seemed to know all the words to all our songs. <laughs> and we found this really quite um, baffling. You know, we couldn't, I mean, I remember we played Cardiff at the Motor Point Arena. We went on and we finished the end of the first song and the audience went absolutely mental. and. It went on and on and on and on. It was about two minutes before we got on to play the first, the second song. And I kept looking around <laughs> and Luke said, what are you looking at? I said, I've got a feeling David Coverdale's poked his head out behind a curtain or something. There's something going on here. You know? <laughs> and we couldn't, couldn't work out what had happened. And it was just that obviously in the, in the period that we'd been away, a lot of people had got, got to find out about us. And I think they were just very enthusiastic to see us again. And 
I think that tour basically did it. I mean, I remember having a conversation with Luke and we agreed that if we were ever going to make another record, probably then was the time to do it. And so that was it really. I mean, we talked about it for ages Yeah. in terms of, you know, making sure that the things that had gone wrong before, and it was all to do with business and the label and management and all of those things. It was never to do with the band or the personality or the music. It, it was nothing to do with any of that because we, we spend all our time laughing when we're together. Um, we just wanted to make sure that all of those kind of boring business things were dealt with in a way that enabled us to be sustainable going forwards. And I think having sort of made those decisions, we decided there and then that we probably had less time in front of us than we had behind. So it was probably time to get a bit more serious and start challenging ourselves so that we stood a chance of being able to make what we might consider to be our best ever record because we were very determined that we still had it in us to do it. And we came back with Wonder Days, which I think was mm-hmm. very much a kind of a restatement of intent. This is thunder. This is what we do. Um, we pushed it slightly with Rip It Up. And then we made the Please Remain Seated album, which we, you know, came as a bit of a shock, really. We, we had no intention of making an album like that, but having decided to do it, we really enjoyed the process. And I think that really informed the way that we went about making this current album, All The Right Noises, because it showed us that we could challenge ourselves with style and also with textures and sounds and and keys even, you know, because a lot of the keys on the Please Remain Seated album are a lot lower than they are on previous albums. And I think Luke realized that I could actually sing in a, a kind of approximate baritone kind of way as opposed to a, a tenor. <laughs> and I think that he felt that, that that meant that he could write songs in a different way. And if you listen to some of the tunes on the new album, there's a lot of very low singing on there, you know, which, which doesn't exist on previous albums. And that came about as a direct result of us recording a Please Remain Seated album. So we are very much kind of pushing at our own parameters. You know, we're just chipping away other people maybe maybe wouldn't notice, you know, but for us, some of the things that we've done over the last few albums have been fairly kind of revolutionary. And um, it's exciting because it means that you feel like there's no boundaries to what you could achieve if you just keep doing it. And we want to. Yeah. And it's the band evolving as well, rather than just kind of putting up the same thing time after time after time, which some bands do. You can't criticize that. That's what they do. But uh, it's nice to see a band like you that, that tries to do something different and tries to improve yeah, we've always wanted to um, to do something a little bit different on every album in some way, shape or form, whether it be lyrically or, or, or adding in textures or, you know, and also things like instrumentation. I mean, there's brass on mm. this album, which a lot of rock bands don't do. There's a string quartet, which some rock bands do um, during the quieter numbers. Uh, but then we've got um, girly BVs, you know, got girly backing vocals on this album. Yeah. In some cases, sounding very much like the Supremes, you know, and that's, you know, that's not what your standard rock band would necessarily embrace. You know? And, but we think as long as it fits, as long as it, the song dictates it and it feels natural to do so, then, then nothing's off the table. And we'll continue to do it because. It, it feels good to do it. You know, it just feels like you've got more possibilities open to you if you do it. You're not hemmed in. And I, and I do feel for for those bands who, who have a tendency to have to yeah. make the same record the same way every time. That must be very limiting. Um, maybe they don't feel it. Maybe that's maybe that's the extent of their ambition. But certainly for us, we want to um, 
we want to just keep pushing. Keep pushing indeed. And we've mentioned that the small tour that you, the smaller tour that you're doing with uh, Luke, but there's also the big dates as well, isn't there? You're going to do an arena tour uh, next May and we're talking Wembley Arena and Glasgow and Cardiff and all the big ones, aren't we? Next May, yeah. It was going to be November last year because the album was coming out in September and everything shifted back. As we discussed earlier, uh, we put the shows back to May this year to go with the March release of the album. Uh, and then we realized that COVID was not going to loosen its grip. So we had to move the shows back again. And we had no idea when we could move the shows back to unless we made it a year's time when we thought we might have a decent chance of the shows taking place. So that was why we moved them back till next May. Um, and that's part of the reason why we ended up doing the TV special because without the TV special, we had no way to play live with this album or we weren't prepared to just not play live. You know, although it was only sort of one show, um, the idea was that we would hopefully reach a lot of people with it. People that were interested in the album or, or maybe on the fence about the album, because we do know that there's a whole bunch of people out there who won't buy an album until they've seen you play it live. Maybe they're suspicious. I don't know, but um, certainly it did the job. It ticked our boxes, and um, you know it worked for the for the record label, and it and it worked for the fans. So um, it was uh, it was a it was a very hard thing to do. I have to say, very very hard thing to do because we didn't just wanna just make something that was a glorified rehearsal with cameras. We wanted to kind of involve the audience in the only way we could, which was via video. But the difference it made when that audience was there and we could see them on the TV screen was incredible. In a way, I honestly didn't believe it was possible, but we got very excited when we saw them on the TV screen and our energy levels jumped up quite dramatically. We all commented on it afterwards and even the fans noticed it. So very strange, but um, it just shows you, you know, Bands like us need an audience. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to see you in front of one very, very soon. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Danny. I wish you the best of luck for the future. And uh, yeah, everyone go out and buy the new album, All the Right Noises. It's a fantastic album. I highly recommend it. You're welcome, mate. Nice to talk to you. A great interview there with Danny. Such a nice guy. Speaking of interviews, I've got some amazing names lined up for the coming weeks, including another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. I've got a guy whose group played the legendary Woodstock Festival of 69 and the Isle of Wight Festival of 1970. I've got a Grammy Award winner, an Oscar-nominated songwriter and guitarist. I've got the drummer from one of the UK's leading four punk bands of the 70s. I've got a man who is in two huge bands with the legendary Paul Rogers and so many more. So definitely please hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast provider so you don't miss out on them. I've got some great names lined up over the next few weeks. But anyway, let's get back to Thunder, shall we? Now, they're a band that just keeps getting better with time. As Danny says in that interview, they do try and change things up rather than just kind of recording the same old, same old when they get in the studio. And to be fair, since they got back together in 2015, their last four albums have all gone top 10 in the UK. Two of them, including this new one, All The Right Noises, have gone top five, which is no mean feat really for a classic kind of rock band and competing with today's chart nonsense as well. They're always a great live band to check out as well if you get the chance. It's well worth looking for their arena tour, which is next summer, if there's any tickets left, that is, of course. May 2022, they're hitting the road with Ugly Kid Joe in support. You remember them from Cats in the Cradle and that sort of stuff? Anyway, they're playing all the big venues here in the UK, Wembley Arena, Cardiff, Glasgow, Birmingham, etc. Now, if you're listening from overseas and you're not overly familiar with the band or Thunder's back catalogue of 13 studio albums, then let me give you a little helping hand and give you my favourite tracks of theirs to dig into with the top five Thunder songs according 
to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song from their second album, Laughing on Judgment Day. It's a big stomping track with a trademark cowbell and a big chorus you'll come to expect from the band. And number five is Everybody Wants Her. For my choice at number four, it's from their comeback album in 2015, Dirty Heavy Guitars and a reminisce about days gone by. And number four is Wonder Days. My number three song comes from their 2005 album, The Magnificent Seventh. It kicks the album off, in fact. It's a great live track as well. It contains another huge sing-along chorus. And number three is I Love You More Than Rock and Roll. At number two is the ballad to end all ballads for Thunder. Their second highest charting single in the UK opens with an acoustic guitar and ends with a soaring chorus and power chords. And number two is Love Walked In. And at number one is the group's first single to chart in the UK, reaching number 32, taken from their debut album, Backstreet Symphony. It's a big slice of fun hard rock with another memorable big chorus. The number one Thunder song, according to the Vintage Rock Pod, is the brilliant Dirty Love. So there you go, I'm sure there's enough in there for you to disagree with, or perhaps agree with maybe. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that list and where you do agree or disagree. Just drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, or message me on the socials. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, that sort of thing. Last week's top five Manfred Mann's Earthband songs were pretty much agreed with. A few people, like Michelle Ross and Howard Saltz, uh, among them, were saying Davies on the Road Again should have been in there. Colin Weiss agreed with me about the Mick Rogers version of Spirits in the Night being number one too. A couple of shout-outs this week. Hello to Michael Statler, who enjoyed the interview last week with Mick Rogers. Hello to John Colling, messaging about the Robert Berry interview from episode 24. He was praising Robert for what he did with Keith Emerson's last song that they worked on together. John says it's a great song, and Keith would have loved what Robert did with it. And also hello and thanks to Gino Conti for spreading the vintage rock pod message on socials as well. Very, very much appreciated. Now, as I said before, please connect with me on social media. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I post clips from the interviews, some short videos as well from those interviews, some rock facts and on this day sort of stuff. Just give us a like or a follow on those sites. It'd be much appreciated. And also sign up to become a VRP VIP too. You'll receive our once a week newsletter where you find out about future guests before anybody else you get your chance to put a question to those future guests as well and lots of other interesting things that i don't always get time to share on here with you just go to vintagerockpod.com and fill in the form on that first page it's free doesn't cost you anything i won't be passing on your data don't you worry about that and you'll only ever get one email a week from me i promise Right, it's that time of the week now then to catch up with our good friend Tim Peacock. He's an author and a music journalist for Universal Music and Record Collector magazine as well. And he's here to give us a roundup of this week's classic rock news. Good evening, Paul. Uh, well, I've got a few interesting ones this week. The uh, good news is that there's no fatalities this week anyway, so that's 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 always, always nice. a good start, isn't yeah. it? So always a good start. So, yeah, um, these are all quite positive stories. The first one is about uh, Black Sabbath. Most specifically, it's about the Ronnie James uh, Dio era of Black Sabbath, um, which I think is actually quite underrated myself. Uh, Possibly this year that that might change a little bit. This is actually about, there's a new, there's a huge coffee table book is coming out about that from about the period when Dio was in the band. It's called Sabbath, the Dio years, (laughs) which gives you an idea. It's being published by an American publication house called Rufus Publications. And um, it basically, it 
it's more of like a coffee table thing. It's going to be 400 odd pages and it's described as an epic illustrated record of one of metal's greatest bands. Uh, now, if fans want to have a look at this, um, there is uh, there's a the pre-order on it has actually started. Um, you can, if you go to YouTube, if you just uh, just type in Sabbath the Dio years, you can actually see there's a little YouTube trailer for about a minute and a half. Now, the downside of this, it's beautifully presented and... Okay, I'll give you the good bit first, actually, rather than down. So the good bit before it is that so there are a number of different versions of it, and some of them will actually be personally signed by Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, oh, wow. Bill Ward, Vinnie Appice, and Dio's widow, Wendy. Um, the downside is, though, unfortunately, they're expensive. Um, <laughs> let's put it to you this way. The, the, most, the basic version of it, which you can now pre-order, is $99 anyway. So you're talking three figures <laughs> and more for some of the other ones. Okay. Yeah. On the other hand, for Dio fans and Sabbath fans, there's also a more specific Ronnie James Dio biography um, coming out yep. later this year called Rainbow in the Dark. That's published on July the 27th via Permuted Press. And um, that will be pretty detailed. I mean, there will be stuff about his time with, with Rainbow and obviously before yeah. uh, Elf and Rainbow before he was in, in um, Sabbath and then Dio Latterly. Uh, Solo that, stuff, yeah. Absolutely. So that's out on July 27th. I don't have a price for that, Paul, but I imagine it'll be available through the um, usual, you know, Amazon and the rest of the marketplaces. So I would imagine that'll be more in the region of 2030. So yeah. that a bit more reasonable say, than the Sabbath version, yeah. Exactly. So anyway, there's two of them out there. Depending on how deep your pockets are, there's a couple of possibilities from <laughs> Dio fans. There. Probably will wait for Rainbow in the Dark, but I must say that the the coffee table book uh, does look beautiful. But um, anyway, over to you'd want Dio that in fans. a glass display, I think, wouldn't you? <laughs> the amount of money you, you spend probably on would. Like that. You probably would actually, to be honest. It's one of those special ones. Don't take it out terribly often, you know. It's a bit. It's a bit, it's a bit nice. White gloves. Time. Well, it is a little bit. It's like Nigel Tufnell. Don't don't even point <laughs> it like that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, to be fair, Ronnie James Dio is an incredible character, isn't he? And some incredible mm. music as he's sung on bands, like you said, the Elf and, and Rainbow and Sabbath and his yeah. own stuff as well was, was fantastic. So, yeah, fascinating. Absolutely. Character. I mean, I think there's a lot going, lot, there'll be a lot going in that book. I mean, certainly Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, two Sabbath albums, fantastic. Um, Holy Dive mm -hmm. of Dio, the Last in Line, fantastic records. And a lot of the stuff with Rainbow. You can't really go yeah. far wrong with, with Ronnie James to me. I mean, sad that he's not around, unfortunately. But anyway, hopefully these books will play tribute to yes, him. Yes, sadly. Okay. Anyway, second story this evening, Paul, is about a documentary rather than a book. Um, it's called, uh, or there's a digital version of this. It's actually been shown on TV before. It's a documentary called Rockfield, the Studio on the Farm. I don't know if you've heard about this. Do you know about Rockfield Studios at all? It's quite famous in, in South, South Wales. It's a residential studio that's been out, for, out and about for a long time. I think probably most people would say it's most famous because it's the place where Queen effectively recorded Bohemian Rhapsody. They got that down on take down in Rockfield but it's like it's so many people have they also recorded their classic album A Night at the Opera which that was part of down there uh, yeah. but also it's I mean the documentary features Robert Plant uh, 
Aussie from Black Sabbath, um, Liam, Liam Geyer from um, Oasis, Coldplay, Simple Minds, Hawkwind. Um, so it gives you an idea of the classic rock and beyond people. I mean, my own frame of reference, I remember in the early 80s, a lot of post-punk bands, Echo and the Bunnymen, Teardrop Explodes, yeah. they recorded albums there. So right across the genres, this, this studio has been really popular as a residential place. So anyway, um, director called Hannah Berryman made a documentary called Rockfield, the Studio on the Farm, and it's includes commentary from the likes of Robert Plant, um, Coldplay, the people who just mentioned. And it was actually shown on the BBC um, in July last year. But of course, with the pandemic and everything going on, uh, you know, people may have missed it. But um, it's through archive animation and personal interviews. It tells the story of how brothers Kingsley and Charles Ward, who founded the studio, realised their dream to build a recording studio in a farmhouse attic on their family farm. And it's become a really famous studio. So uh, <laughs> next month in May, from May the 14th, uh, the documentary is available to buy digitally. Um, and it goes for... There's actually a website, rockfieldfilm.com. Uh, you can pre-order it. It's, the price that I had was quoted in American $7.99 in dollars, so it's affordable okay. anyway. It's, yeah, yeah, so, definitely. And, uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, several people I know have seen it and actually said that it's, it's an excellent watch, so that'll be well worth checking out anyway. Absolutely. Sounds fascinating. And finally tonight, Paul, my third one is um, our friends Kiss. We've been talking <laughs> about, we were talking about their extravaganza around New Year with, with their incredible um, live show that they did. Well, they're actually, um, while we're still on the same tip with Kiss Live, they're um, launching a brand new uh, archival live album series shortly, which is going to be called Off the Soundboard. Um, I don't know how many of these they're going to release, but the first one starts um, on, it's out on 11th of June. It's called Kiss Off the Soundboard in Tokyo 2001. Um, it's a show, as the title suggests, it was recorded at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan in March 2001. And it's the first of a series of these upcoming live releases. They're going to be available through Universal Music and they will be available. It will be a th standard three LP black vinyl set, two CD set and various, you know, digital uh, platforms you can buy it through as well. Um, I'm not sure exactly the price, but you're probably talking somewhere in the region of about 20, 20 pounds, something like that. So um, it's got most of their classic stuff on it. Uh, apparently it captured them in front of 50, uh, the 55,000 seat venue. So obviously they are, KISS are indeed big in Japan, as they say, and always <laughs> were really. Um, but it's got a lot of their classic stuff, Heavens on Fire, Rock and Roll All Night, Detroit Rock City, a lot of the classic yeah. stuff is, is on there. So if you're a KISS fan, that sounds like it's going to be a good one anyway. Um, again, it's available through all of the usual outlets. It's out on 11th of June. Fantastic so. stuff. Yeah, sounding good. Thank you very much, Tim. You're very welcome, Paul. Okay, thanks very much. Speak to you next week. And a big thanks to Tim, as always. Now, a quick recap and a reminder that we're going to two shows a week from next week to test it out. As I said at the start, it's in response to some comments that were made a couple of months ago. So I thought I'd put out a survey just to, to see what the, the overall thoughts were. And it was backed up pretty much with the findings from that survey that I conducted. Now, the main findings were basically that some people do skip episodes because they might not like that week's guest. Now, I got huge high scores when it came to the variation of guests. So we go from 60s mods to 70s 
70s punks, we've had 80s hard rock, we've had metal in there, we've had some kind of country rock, we've had uh, lead singers, drummers, guitarists, bassists, we've had solo artists, so it's really, really varied, but I'm not going to please everybody all the time with the artists. So with that kind of going in mind, it meant that all the other work on those shows that people may be skipping, like Tim's input, for instance, and other interviews that I have, maybe with authors or a second uh, musician on there, or the quizzes, the top fives, all that sort of stuff, that was going to waste as well. So I also got some interesting findings about the length of shows. People saying they would prefer 30 minutes max. Now, these kind of shows I've been doing the last couple of weeks, I've tried to been squeezing it into that, but it's kind of limiting what I can put into it. So the usual shows were around 45 minutes. So the results were also overwhelming when I gave the offer of keep the show as it is, go to two shows a week. And the, like I said, the overwhelming response was to go to two shows a week. So we're going to give it a try. I'll keep an eye on the download figures and see where we go in the next few months and see how we go from there. So anyway, look forward to two shows a week coming up from next week. You'll have your usual big interview on the Monday and then on the Friday, just in time for the weekend, you'll have your magazine styled shows with all the extra bits on there to keep you up to date with uh, the nostalgia and the news and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, don't forget to sign up to become a VRP VIP as well. Please get to vintagerockpod.com and uh, just sign up on there. It's dead easy. It's on the front page. And that's it then for another packed episode. If this is the first time you've listened, then please do hit the follow or subscribe button to make sure you don't miss these future episodes. Because as I said earlier on, I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbours, tell your colleagues, tell anybody really just to get listening and join in with us. Until episode 27, then remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.